Takes is a podcast from BCA Research, informing investors with straightforward, actionable analysis of macro and market events. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of the BCA Research Quick Takes podcast. I'm your host, Rakaya Ibrahim, strategist at BCA Research. This week's episode is all about inflation. The pandemic caused shifts in consumer spending habits and global supply chain disruptions, which pushed inflation up to levels not seen since the early 1980s. But now with consumption patterns normalizing and pandemic-related supply side issues easing, and not to mention central banks tightening policy at an extremely aggressive clip, we should be seeing some cooling of price pressures. Many of us have been expecting inflation to start coming down, but it hasn't. And data released last week shows core CPI inflation rose to a 40-year high last month in the U.S. Inflation is a central topic facing every investor. Its outlook has implications not only for bond markets, but also for equities, currencies, as well as commodities. So this week, my colleague Ryan Swift is joining me on Quick Takes. He heads BCA's U.S. bond strategy and spends more time than anyone I know thinking about inflation. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me on. Okay, so break it down for us. Why is inflation still elevated? You know, I guess fundamentally, I think of it as two real big things going on with U.S. inflation. We have still some of these pandemic type effects that show up mostly on the good side, uh, what we were calling transitory inflation for a while before that became a bit of a dirty word. Um, and then we have the more sort of inflation that's being generated by domestically driven demand that we're seeing show up in the sort of shelter and the services side. And I think what we saw in September is a lot, some signs that the disinflation on the good side, um, some of those supply chain constraints that popped up during the pandemic is starting to come off, but we're still seeing really rapid price increases on the services side and on the shelter side. Okay, so then are you starting to see any signs from either the CPI report um, itself, as you mentioned, goods inflation, or some of the mm-hmm. other indicators that you're paying attention to that inflationary pressures are basically starting to cool? Yeah, so that is our view right now. Uh, I do think that we are on the cusp of what's going to be a pretty significant period of disinflation uh, in the US. So as you pointed out just now on the goods side, um, I think you know we already saw goods prices were flat in September and we see leading indicators in that area. So sort of supplier delivery times are down sharply. Aggregate sort of global supply chain indicators such as the New York Fed's global supply chain pressure index is down a lot. And we expect those pressures will continue to ease up. So we're gonna continue to see goods inflation print very, very low uh, the next little while. Um, And even on the other services and shelter side, uh, we see scope for both of those to come off, not by nearly as much, but by a fair amount. So, you know, on shelter, uh, we run a model of shelter inflation based on rental vacancies, uh, some labor market indicators, indicators of uh, sort of apartment market tightness. And right now, shelter inflation is running well above the estimate from our model. 
Uh, and when you combine that with what we're seeing in sort of some of the private market rent indicators rolling over, um, it does look like at least that's probably at least not going to be rising as quickly going forward. And then on the services side, the best uh, indicator tends to be wage growth. And while wage growth is probably going to remain quite rapid, there are some signs from leading wage indicators that have rolled over. So things like the quits rate, things like the ratio of job openings to the number of unemployed people in the economy, those have both rolled over pretty significantly. Um, and so it looks like that's going to cool at the margin as well. And so I guess to add it all up, we're looking for core inflation to get down to somewhere in the range of three and a half to four percent. So that's year over year core CPI. Uh, that's down from about 6.7 percent right now. And I think the real important part I would mention about that is that we think we can get that sort of disinflation without um, a meaningful deterioration in the labor market, like without a recession, without the unemployment rate really climbing, we can get back down to that sort of three and a half, four percent core inflation level. Okay, so let's backtrack a little um, and discuss what, where we expect uh, policy to be over the near term. Um, and my question is, so you've mentioned that there are these indicators, you know, the Zillow, the um, ISM prices paid index, those types of things that are starting to show signs of inflation easing, but realized inflation is still um, very elevated. Uh, so do you think a 75 basis point rate hike is a foregone conclusion for November? Yeah, I think it would be hard to justify taking the pace down in November. So you know, I do get the sense from recent Fed communications that the Fed is starting to notice things like quite broad, you know, quite a rapid tightening of broad financial conditions that's already occurred. Real yields are now firmly positive about just about the entire yield curve. And so it does make sense that at some point soon, they're going to want to first slow the pace of increases. So a lower amount of hiking at each meeting and then eventually go on pause when they think policy is sufficiently restrictive. And it, you do get the sense from recent speeches and in the minutes of the September meeting that they would like to slow the pace, I think, but to do that without some justification from the data, I think would be um, a very difficult message to communicate. Um, and so they need at least one or two sort of softer CPI prints, I think, in order to justify that move. So my view right now is that 75 is probably baked in for next month, but I could see them downshifting to 50 bips or maybe even 25 as early as December. I think that could happen uh, pretty quickly. So then what is the role of inflation expectations um, here? So for example, you know, we've been uh, watching consumer inflation expectations come down over the past few months, but we did get uh, the preliminary print for October on Friday. Uh, that's based off of the University of Michigan survey. Uh, and that showed consumer inflation expectations ticked up a little bit. Do you think um, that's something that the Fed is watching closely? Do you think that's something that they could potentially uh, look at to prevent them from slowing down the pace of rate hikes? How would they respond to that? Yeah, I think that is a good way to put it. It's a bit like a, a bit of a boogeyman out there for the Fed right now, these inflation expectations, because I think in general, 
if you look at a broad reading, market-based measures, survey-based measures, all the different ways we have of measuring long-dated inflation expectations, they're generally pretty well anchored. If you look at the market-based measures, you might even say they're a tad too low um, recently. And so I don't think there is a concern that the Fed has lost control of those long-dated inflation expectations, but they are very worried that they might lose control of it if they don't maintain a sufficiently restrictive policy. And I think that's, you know, sort of the point I was trying to make when I said that, you know, maybe they would like to downshift because they've already tightened a lot, downshift the pace of tightening. But the risk is if they do it when it seems like maybe they shouldn't, like if coming off a hot CPI print and then they decide to hike more slowly, the risk there is that you give off too dovish a message to the market and those long-dated inflation expectations start to spike, which is what the that's the situation they really want to avoid, which is why you see them trying to stick to, you know, hawkish rhetoric. They don't want to back off without it seeming justified to do so. So basically, you're expecting another 75 basis point rate hike November, um, the Fed to then ease from that pace a little bit, potentially in December um, and thereafter. Uh, and if you look at uh, what the market is currently pricing in the OIS curve, uh, they're expecting the Fed funds rate uh, to peak a bit under 5% in March 2023 uh, before they pivot to cutting interest rates. Uh, so first of all, do you agree with this pricing? And second of all, what do you think the Fed is looking at to determine when they should start easing policy? Great questions. That's the real heart of the matter for the bond call. And so I guess before we get to easing policy, right? So we talked about, we don't think it'll take too much for them to pair the rate of increases. The next step for the Fed is going to be to just pause rates at a high level. And Jay Powell gave us his sort of three criteria for them to pause, and they are below trend GDP growth on a sustained basis. They are some softening of the labor market and clear evidence that inflation is heading back down. And so, you know, right now I'd say we have one of those three. We've got GDP growth coming in well below trend. You'd be hard pressed to find any signs of softening in the labor market. Uh, beyond some drop in job openings, but things like initial unemployment claims, the unemployment rate, just non-farm payroll growth are still very, very strong. Um, and obviously, we're not seeing signs yet that inflation's rolling over. So I do think we could see those signs emerge sometime in Q1 or Q2 of next year, and the Fed will probably go on pause at that point. So in that respect, that pause in March that's priced into the curve seems fairly reasonable to me. What I'd be less certain about is then that they're going to move either quickly towards cuts or that that pause won't actually even be followed by the resumption of hiking. So if you indulge me just to run through a little scenario here, if we imagine that inflation starting to come down in line with my forecast, we're getting closer to that three and a half, four percent range. The Fed decides we've tightened a lot, we're going to go on hold in March. If we haven't seen that much pain in the labor market yet, right? If the unemployment rate is, say, still below 4% at that time, then I'm not going to be confident that that's the last rate hike because it's going to be hard to get wage growth down significantly without pushing that unemployment rate up probably well above four. 
And so if they haven't achieved that labor market pain, I'm not convinced that they won't have to start hiking again. So to me, that's the real call right now is when are we going to see that pain reverberate through the labor market? Right. Okay. That makes sense. Now, I do have one final question for you. You know, we've watched the 10 year treasury yield climb higher and higher all year. Uh, it went up from 1.5% at the end of last year. It's now uh, around 4%. So, do you think there is still scope for yields to rise further? You know, I think it ties back to that scenario we just ran through. So, one bit of work we've done. Uh, recently is to look at when bond yields tend to peak out for the cycle compared to the last uh, rate hike uh, of the cycle. And usually what you find is that it's about one to two months before the last rate hike is when bond yields peak. And so for me to call sort of the top in yields, uh, I want to be pretty confident that we're no more than a couple months before the last rate hike of the cycle. And so to me, that comes back to, have we seen enough labor market pain? So my preference would be, I want to stay short bonds right now, looking for one last leg higher. And once we start to see signs of that labor market cracking, the unemployment rate going up, you know, payroll growth coming in below, at least below 100,000, something like 80,000 is probably more consistent with just keeping pace with the population growth. So I would say maybe even below 80,000 would be something you'd want to see. That to me will be the signal to buy bonds. Right now, I still think there's probably that one little last move up to go. Thanks a lot for joining me uh, today, Ryan. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our very first BCA Research Podcast. We'll be bringing you weekly quick takes with BCA strategists on a range of macro and market topics. In the weeks ahead, I plan to talk to some of my colleagues about long-term themes for U.S. equities, the ECB, and the U.S. midterm elections. So stay tuned and thanks again for listening.